Welcome to the Dreamcatcher Podcast, a place where you'll receive a boost of inspiration, practical advice, and tools to maximize your success and personal happiness. And that's not all. You'll also get plenty of guidance on how you can use your gifts, talents, and compassion to contribute towards making the world a better place. Be sure to sign up for our free weekly newsletter for a preview of what's in store and to also receive a free ebook. To sign up, simply visit www.thedreamcatch.com. Now it's my pleasure to introduce you to the host of the Dreamcatcher podcast, Celine Chinoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dreamcatcher podcast, a place where your dreams can find a voice. Change can be difficult because it often requires us to shift our habits, thoughts, and interpretations. Even if we want to make positive changes, we do things that sabotage our success and react in ways that cause pain, anxiety, and fear. So why does this happen? And is there anything that we can do to change this? According to my guest, Thomas M. Sterner, the best way to break patterns is to understand why we behave as we do, and to develop the skill to craft the behavioral changes we desire. He'll share more in our conversation. Thomas M. Sterner is the CEO of the Practicing Mind Institute and is an in-demand speaker and coach working with high-performance industry groups and individuals, including athletes, to help them operate effectively in high-stress situations and experience new levels of mastery. He is the author of the best-selling The Practicing Mind, Fully Engaged, and more recently, It's Just a Thought. Sterner studied Eastern and Western philosophy and modern sports psychology and trained as a jazz pianist. During our conversation, Thomas will offer his advice on becoming the master of our mind's capabilities instead of its servant. We'll discuss ways to improve our internal dialogue by replacing negative thoughts with empowering ones. He'll also share tips to change old habits and introduce new and better ones. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to like, rate, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Thanks. Hello, Thomas. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, I'm happy to have you on the show. Uh, Looking forward to learning more about the concepts that you've penned in your new book. It's just a thought, emotional freedom through deliberate thinking. And I thought it was interesting that you use the term deliberate thinking because so many people find that hard to do in a world that's full of distractions. Don't you think so? Yeah, I do. And we're actually... um, it's being promoted, you know, by the media. Um, you know, the media, there's a lot of money to be made by getting people's attention because then you can sell their attention. So uh, what we have today, I mean, we've always we've always acted out of um, installed programming, but it, it now it's it's just so much more. And you know, our minds are so ramped up with all the external stimulus that, mm-hmm. Uh, we're just part of it and it feels normal. Right. Yeah. And it's totally hijacked our attention and Mm -hmm. we just feel more tired. Like we don't have enough thinking power to do anything in our life. 
Yeah, the brain has, you know, people don't realize it, but the brain has a capacity. And, you know, one of the things that you gain uh, when you practice something like a meditation is that you thin the thoughts out in your mind, which gives you access. It's like thinning out RAM in the computer. You know, it gives you access to more cognitive ability. And because your mind is not constantly analyzing and making judgments, you you don't feel fatigued. You feel much more at peace inside. So, yes, absolutely. That's mm. the truth. Great. Yeah. So there we got the first hack. <laughs> I will get some more <laughs> later on. Uh, but before we get into all of that, Thomas, let's discuss your intention in writing is just a thought. Tell us what inspired you to write this book. Well, you know, what I have found, I mean, I've been involved in this stuff for about 45 years. You know, I've been actually coaching in, in this capacity for about 22. But I started um, researching this stuff when I was in my late teens. And there is a, there definitely is a big shift coming that is occurring right now in the world. And that's because the technologies that we are unearthing through the science of consciousness and heart math and all these things where we really are beginning to realize that our thoughts uh, they're electromagnetic energy with data in them, and they go out into this field, and that field expresses back to us, you know, what we're doing. I mean, there's all sorts of experiments that have been going on to show that um, your thoughts are not contained to your brain, and they are impacting other people. They can impact machinery. They can impact biology. And so I really felt like it's important as we move forward through these times for people to understand that there's a certain responsibility to take with how you think. Um, and you can't do that if you don't understand the mechanics of how, why you have thoughts, why you have thoughts that upset you. Um, are you creating the thought or is the thought just happening to you? You can't, if you don't have an understanding of that, you um, you can't get a handle on controlling it and being the master of it. And the system that we're talking about here is always in play. It's always working. And it doesn't care whether you know. I mean, it doesn't care whether you know that the thoughts that you're, you're having right now are going to make you unhappy. It doesn't care. It's just recording the thoughts and playing back very dutifully. It's an elegant system and you're either using it or you're being used by it. And that was really what I wanted to to make people aware of that they have so so much more power uh, to manifest what they want in their life and to be happy and to be in control of how they react to situations than they ever dreamed and they need to they need to start taking control of that uh, as just part of a, a citizen of the world. Mm, yeah, and why do you think it's so difficult for people to manage that constant constant internal chatter that's constantly going on in their mind like what why is it so difficult i know we talked about the impact of social media and other sort of distractions out there but like what are the other challenges when it comes to managing our thoughts well i think the first thing you have to understand is that thought control is a skill that's all it is is a skill and like all skills it's always the most difficult when you start, you know, like um, it's like if you go to have piano lessons, well, on your first lesson, you don't know what a note is on the page. You don't understand a note value, a pitch. You don't know where that note is on the keyboard. You know nothing. That's your threshold. You're right there. And as you move on this linear line of mastery, you get better and better. And, and you know, you get to a point up here 
where we're always against our threshold. That's something we have to understand. We're always up against our threshold. And, and threshold is just data. That's all it is. It's just telling us, hey, this is where you're at. That's that's all it's telling us. We interpret that um, because when we're trying to push through the threshold, it feels difficult, um, which is just another label for data that we're getting. You know, like uh, we interpret that as I don't want it to be difficult. Well, all all advancement comes with a, a certain level of difficulty. It's your interpretation of difficult that determines how you're going to experience it. But as you move through this line, um, what happens is you get to here. And now this thing that seems so hard back here, you do it effortlessly. I mean, we don't think about what we're good at because it just flows effortlessly. So I think that when we talk about this, and when we say, why is it so difficult? You know, well, one reason it's so difficult is because we've never tried to fix it. Like uh, we know we really have never had um, an, a, an organized system, an understanding of why certain things happen, because it's so much easier if you understand why things happen to apply your motivation and start to develop discipline and your expectations and all. I mean, you know, you could say like, if somebody said, and it's an analogy I've used before, if if somebody said, I want to lose 30 pounds, that should take five days. Well, that's absurd. But if that's the way you approach it, because you don't know any better, then you're setting yourself up for failure and you're going to mm-hmm. feel that I can't accomplish this. Um, and you know, in three days, you have lost a pound maybe, and you're thinking I'm terrible at this. And, and it has nothing to do with that. It's that you don't understand the system that you're, you know, you're trying to master. So I yeah. think the biggest thing for people is to understand when you say, when we say it's difficult, well, it's it depends on what your interpretation of difficult yeah. is and what your expectations are. And we are no one teaches us how to do it. Thoughts like even in, in school, like thought management, and we we just don't know. We don't have the knowledge. We don't have the skill set to to figure things out. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and we yeah, and I what I teach people is thought awareness. You know what we're looking for is. We're not looking to, um, at least when when I'm working with someone, I'm not trying to get them to have a perfectly quiet mind. I'm getting trying to get them to understand that their mind is thinking without their permission. And, mm. you know, and I tell them, look, I am not my thoughts. I have thoughts, some of which I create um, for my own purposes. But most of my thoughts and what neuroscience says is about 95 percent of them are not thoughts that I have even asked for. You know, they're just thoughts that the mind has created. And that's because, as I said earlier, the subconscious mind is always watching how a situation makes you feel. And then it assumes that's how you want to feel every time that situation shows up. So it records the reaction. And then as soon as that situation shows up again in any of its many forms, um, it just plays off those emotions and those thoughts. And so, and you're in all of that. You're in the behavior. It's a behavior and you're in that behavior and you can't get out of that behavior Unless you understand, um, you notice it. You have to be the observer, the one who notices, oh, isn't this interesting? This situation, I've told myself to act this way in this situation. That's why I'm having these feelings because I'm the one that programmed it. Nobody else programmed it. I'm the one that wrote the program. And when you begin to see that, you understand how much um, how much control you have if you use the control and you know that's a skill like i said that's why you go okay well i want to learn how to do that like um and then you begin to work at that and it's a lifetime thing you know people get uncomfortable with when yeah. they don't have closure you know like but i tell look you brush your teeth every day you know you don't go well i'm 22 i should be done brushing my teeth you know i mean this is this is part working at this is part of right it is it is yeah but how much access do we have to our subconscious mind first of all i know the subconscious mind comprises like I think it's what 70, 80 percent. 
of our mind. Yes. Subconscious. Yeah. So is it something that we can keep tabs on or are there other ways, other modalities that we need to use to go to that deeper level of thinking? Well, it's not, I wouldn't define it necessarily as, as a deeper level of thinking. In fact, I would actually define it as a shallower level because it doesn't think, you know, it just restores, it just records the, the um, reaction and plays it. I think the, what to answer your question is, um, as soon as you get, um, when you begin to, like, if you just look at a, a, a practice like a breath meditation, what what is happening in a breath meditation? You know, where you're watching your body breathe and you're not trying to control it. You're just watching it. So that is, in a sense, watching what your mind is doing. In other words, you're sitting there with your eyes closed and you've told you've told your mind, I want you to watch my my body breathe. And it takes about 10 seconds. And the body says, I've been doing this for years. I'm, it's boring. I'm going to go solve some problem. And it just takes off. And then what happens is you go with it because that's what you've always done. And you don't even notice you've gone with it because that's what you've always done. And, and then there's a, there's a brief second where the, all the magic happens, you know, you wake up and realize that your mind is not doing what you commanded it to do. And when that, that's where people fall down in meditation, because they always, they think that the fact that they have gone off, off course is an indication that they're not very good at meditation, but it doesn't matter. I've medicated for most of my life. I've meditated, I should say, I've meditated for most of my life. And I've had, I've studied all kinds of meditation. It, it doesn't matter. That's just part of meditation. Sometimes your mind is, is irritated and agitated and it's very active and other times it's very placid. And so you'll have some meditations where you're fairly calm and others where you're not. But when you notice that and you pull it back, that that's where everything happens magically, you know, because when you notice that what you have just done is gotten out of the thought and become the observer of the mm. thought that the mind so is creating. Having that awareness. Uh, right. You've become aware. And then by pulling the, the mind back onto task, you have strengthened your will. And the reason that's so important for what we're talking about here is that when you can live more in the observer and the self-awareness, then you can notice when the subconscious is executing something that is not making you happy. And then because of your will, you can redirect it. Like um, So those two things are byproducts of meditation, which serve you in so many different ways. But you actually, you know, you can't change what you're not aware of. So if your mind, if your subconscious mind executes a plan, um, pulls it off the heart, you know, you, some stimulus happens out here, a trigger person walks in the room and your subconscious goes, you know, well, where's the file for this person? Go get it off the hard drive and run it. And then you're in that experience. You're in that behavior. Well, you don't have any power there. You're just participating in it. The only way you can really get power is to get outside of that. And so that you can watch it and notice it as the, the self-aware observer and say, this is, I know this is something I told myself to do unknowingly because I'm telling myself to do things, whether I know it or not, they're still being recorded. And now I see it and I can see that, um, that this is making me unhappy. This is making me feel anxious. And so I'm going to rewrite the programming for this particular situation. And then you, you know, then you create a plan for that. Mm. And um, when that happens, you know, by the way, you, you start to look at those situations as a blessing 
because you can't change a situation unless you're in it. That's when you get the chance to execute. You know, you like, in other words, if you want to sing in front of a thousand people, you can sit in your room and sing in front of a mirror all you want. But it isn't until you walk out on the stage that all the nervousness, everything that you have to overcome is there in your face. And so you have to go through that. And so I tell people, you know, when when you're up against that threshold, that's all it's telling you is that, you know, that's where you, so you really should welcome it because you make your plans on how am I going to handle that situation? So, you know, I mean, I have a pilot's license. You don't figure out what am I going to do if the engine quits? Like when the engine quits, you don't do that. You already know it's all written out. You've practiced that in your mind. You know, it's a procedure. You, you have all those decisions are already made. And it's the same thing with this. If you, if you tend to react to a certain situation, I tell people, I want you to respond. There's a difference between a reaction is just a reaction, but a response has will and decision making behind it. That's why they call EMTs first responders, not first reactors, you know, because they know what they're going to do. They've already practiced what they're going to do when they get in there. So the emotional content of the situation doesn't have any control over them. So to me, this is, um, you know, this is what you want to do. You want to eliminate the power of the emotional content. And you do that by having something that you can latch on to when that, you know, when you start to feel that and, you, and you're the observer, you notice that person just came in or this situation just happened and, and look at how I'm feeling. Now what? Well, you got to have somewhere to go when that happens. Otherwise, you can't figure it out when you're in that emotional content. You have to know ahead of time when that happens. This is my plan. I'm going to focus on this. And that's what saves you. That's why I tell people you need a rescue mantra. You know, you need something when you get confronted like that. What is your rescue mantra? Is it, hey, this is when the fun starts or I'm really glad this is happening. You, know, you have to have something that reminds you that this is what you've been waiting for. You've been waiting for this opportunity to execute so that you can reprogram and get better. So what I'm hearing you say is that have a plan, be prepared for whenever things can, whenever stuff happens and just have some way to manage your emotions. Right. But, you know, when I was growing up, everybody said, well, you enter your emotions, you can't control them. And that's just totally false. Um, you know, your emotions are just the reactions that you've told yourself to have. And that's, like I said, the, you know, the language of the subconscious is the feelings. It doesn't really pay attention to the words. It pays attention to the feelings. So what it sees is the eyes see a circumstance and there's a feeling that goes with that circumstance or you hear something. You know, the senses senses gather data. There's a feeling that works with them. And then the subconscious correlates the two and says, oh, when this happens, this feeling is what should show up and it records it. And then that. Um, and so what you have done unknowingly is told your, your subconscious, this is how I want to feel when this happens. And it, you know, it always think it always assumes what you're telling it is the truth. It doesn't say, I don't think that's really what you mean. I think, you know, I think you don't really want to feel this way in this circumstance. I think um, what you really want to feel is this. So I'll put that in there. It doesn't do that. You know, it doesn't have a sense of humor. It, it doesn't think at all. It's not creative. It's just recording, but it is a million times faster than the conscious mind. And that's why it, it, it gets engaged like that, especially situations that you have programmed that you would interpret as fight or flight. You know, because that's when this, we shift over into the subconscious because it's so much faster than the conscious. So it takes that's the reason we want, because they're happening in a mode that psychologically you're interpreting as fight or flight. So automatically your brain shifts over to the throws it over to the subconscious and says, this is your game. Mm. And Thomas, what if it triggers something that's 
really been traumatic for us, like a very painful memory. Do you think that we can control that on well, our own? Yes. Uh, well, it depends on the person, obviously. Um, but I'll give you an example uh, of that. You know, you can. Um, one of the things that I talk to people about is your, as I mentioned earlier, your interpretation will create your experience, and that experience, whatever it is, is going to is going to impact your performance in the situation. And so, people will say, "Well, yeah, but there's some situations that you there's just no other way to interpret them." Well, actually. I disagree. I've been through pretty much everything that somebody can go through in their life. And um, and I have used this stuff in in everything that has happened to me. And I have can found you give us an example. Is, oh, I've you know, I've been uh, totally broke. I've been divorced. I've sat on the bed with people that I was, you know, my favorite people that were dying of cancer. And I've had to help them through that. I mean, it's just pretty much, you know, whatever. You want to imagine that most people consider traumatic. Um, you know, I've visited uh, either directly or through clients. Um, but to give you an example, I don't see see I don't see it that way. Like you know, for me, I'm so aware based, self aware based that I see that the um, the feeling is happening to me. Um, I am not the feeling. When you're having a feeling, if I you know, I ask people. If you're feeling like really sad, you know, if I said, um, if you could stop that feeling right now, would you? And they go, well, yeah. I said, so you aren't the feeling. The feeling is happening to you. And yeah, well, that means you're outside of the feeling. The feeling is something extra and that it's happening to you. And so so let me give you an example of someone who was in a situation that they felt was not they couldn't interpret it any other way. And that was a person who had a traumatic childhood and they had been abused and they had lived with they had their own children after they grew up and they got a control of this at some point in their uh, the children's upbringing but they felt like they had repeated some of the traumatic emotional abuse that they had gone through and they suffered they were struggling with guilt with a lot of guilt and i said you know and they couldn't escape it and i said well you know you, this may surprise you but guilt is uh it's a feeling and from my perspective it's just data I said, um, and it can be interpreted in different ways. And and so they said, well, how, how? Give me an example. I said, well, your interpretation of guilt is I'm a horrible person. That's what your interpretation is. My interpretation is look how far you've come. Mm -hmm. I said, there's lots of people that abuse their children emotionally, and they don't ever think they've done anything wrong. If they have more kids, they would do the same thing. I said, basically, that data is showing you how far you have come and your perspective on what's right and wrong. I said, you know how hard that is? When you are raised in a, an abusive situation, most people repeat it. And, I, and they never feel like they've done anything wrong. They never figure that out. I said, you have figured it out to the point where you wish you had the chance to redo it. I said, that's a huge, huge spiritual leap. And I said, so for me, it's a blessing that you, um, you're just interpreting it in a way because the word guilt has this, um, it has a tag to it, you know, like just like struggle. I don't want struggle. Well, struggle is just information. It's just saying, this is where you're at. And with this here, that's my interpretation of it. And I can't tell you what that did for her. I mean, it just completely changed her perspective of mm. what she was feeling. So, like I said, interpretation creates experience is really, really important to understand. And you can't reinterpret a situation unless you're in a place of self-awareness. You have to be the yeah. observer. 
you know. And that can be hard when you're emotionally uh, sort of, con- you know, when you're really emotionally connected to a situation. It it can be difficult to be objective. Yeah, I don't want to invalid- invalidate that. Um, yeah, I-, I guess you know part of the thing is I'm just a really practical person, you know. So for right. me, it's like. Okay, I think it's like difficult. you got to sort out your emotions first before you can get to that place where you can be that observer. Because, I mean, I speak from experience. Like, I, I mean, I can get mired in my emotions when certain events happen. And I need time to kind of manage that and kind of process things before I can get to a place where I can have that that higher perspective and really see the situation for what it is and kind of reframe it as, as you're suggesting. I think emotional management is a big piece of this process, right? Yeah, I think, and everybody's different. Um, As you said, you know, your, your way of handling that, which is very valid is to have to go through that and, and to, um, experience it however you're going to experience it and that's why i'm saying that it depends you know your personality is going to dictate um how you know like how you're going to process that for me like i said i tend to be very practical so i tend to and it's not that that's a plus or a minus it's just a different way i tend to look at it and i say like you know this is making me unhappy so it's off the table i'm going to go this direction so like i said now that doesn't mean my way is better it's just a different way of handling it and i think that um you have to feel comfortable and not be judgmental, you know, you because that's part of what I think causes so much anxiety in people. Like, I should be able to get over this. I should be able to, well, where does it say that? Absolutely, where does it say that? Like, I, you know, I had a woman one time who was happened to be local, and she wanted to work with me. So she asked me if she could meet me at this coffee shop. And and so uh, that was nearby, and we would just have this kind of introductory conversation. So I met her at the coffee shop, and she said, I said, so what are you struggling with? She goes, well... Um, and she was like early 50s and she had been dating this guy for a while and they had broken up. And I think it was about six months. She said six months have gone by and I'm not over him as much as I should be. And I said, I, I understand. I said, so you've obviously read the book. And she said, what book are you talking about? I said, you know, the book. And she goes, no, I don't know what the book is. And I said, it's the book. You look it up and it asks you what your age is. It's like a spreadsheet. It asks you your age, their age, how long you dated, you know, all this stuff. And I said, and you just kind of follow it across on the columns. And it says it will take you, you know, nine months, three weeks, two days and four hours to get completely over this person. And she said, there's no book like that. And I said, yeah, but you're acting like there is. I said, like, how do you know? What, you know, are you over him more than you were the day you broke up? And she said, oh, yeah. I said, I think what you're looking for is you want to run into him at the grocery store and he has no impact on you at all. I said, but there is nothing that says it should take this long for that to happen. You are getting over him every day and that's the best you can do. And um, so anyway, I lost a client because <laughs> basically <laughs> solved her <laughs> solved her problem. She's not ready um, to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> but it made I mean, it made we total sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We kind of limit ourselves. In fact, you talk about this very interesting concept called uh, scoring barriers. And I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about that and how that kind of limits our growth. What we do is uh, scoring barriers in a situation like golf, which is just kind of easier to understand, is that we always compare ourselves to our best performance. 
you know, so um, so what we do is, you know, if we ha- if there's one situation that we thought was going to be difficult and we really aced it, um, then the next time if we don't do as well, we be- we judge ourselves against that. In golf, it's like you know, if you're trying to break, if you're trying to break eighty and play into the seventies for the first time, and um, and you know, or uh, let's just say ninety, and then one day something happens and everything is working and you shoot like an 83, you know, but then you go right back up to the scoring barrier of not being able to get past 90. Well, um, what happens is, is that the, uh, you, you're always comparing yourself to that 83, but what the subconscious does, uh, and it's really interesting to watch in a game of golf, but we do it every day is that we have functioning at a certain level emotionally, um, you know, during our day we're comfortable with that because we've done it for so long. And when we start to excel, we there's a part of us that says, I'm not this good. You know, I can't, you know, this isn't who I am. And so something will happen that will pull us back to where we're in our comfort zone. So to use again, golf, you know, I've seen, um, I've seen guys that are, they would show up and be playing and they're like, man, I'm playing out of my mind. I can't play how, you know, how good I'm playing. And then all of a sudden they have two holes where they're like three over par on both holes because they're saying that they'll actually say to you, like, I hope this doesn't end. I hope this doesn't end. This is like, I'm not this good. I'm just not this good. And then the subconscious says, that's right. You're not this good. So, and you're uncomfortable. So we're going to make sure you lose your swing mechanics for two holes and you foul up. And now you'll get right back to where, and then you'll see that all, everything comes right back online. Their swing mechanics come back on online and everything because now they're back to who they think they are and so yeah. that's how we self-limit ourselves um because we don't realize that we're we're unlimited and when we start performing at a higher level you know that's why you know people get into a room sometimes and they have imposter syndrome you know yes. they feel like i don't belong in here like where does it say that like how you don't know what those people are thinking they may be intimidated by you you don't know that you know so but then that's like a self-limiting mindset Mm. which I would call a scoring barrier, you know, um, in personal life. Yeah. I would call that a scoring barrier because you're playing, you're in a position like, let's just say you get asked to go to a sales meeting or a board meeting where you've never been before. You're with people that are higher up on the, you know, on the scale than you. And you're like, um, now all of a sudden you've been thrust into a situation that is out of your comfort zone. It's like, that's your scoring barrier. Like you have to get comfortable in, in this particular environment and, you start to feel like I don't belong here, you know? And so you say something dumb <laughs> in the meeting and then you feel foolish and like, you know, and then you come, then you, then you just get real quiet and you don't talk. And I've ha- actually had clients that have done this. Like um, I'm speaking from other people's experience that this is how it went down for them. And then they just sit there and they're afraid to open their mouth. And so it's always because, and I've said, you know, you don't know what these people are thinking. You have no idea if you, the fact that you're in that meeting means you earned the right to be in the meeting and you should see it like that and you should speak up. And if, if you're telling them something that they already know, somebody else is saying something that you already know, <laughs> you know, so this is just, you know, the round and round. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And for someone who is trying to kind of break through those scoring barriers, what are some of the things that they can do? begin changing that well you're back to that if i said to you what do you you know that's going to happen because it happens to you the situation happens to you so the first thing we have to figure out is what if you could do anything when that happened what does that look like 
mean, most when you ask people that, they don't have any idea. They're just all their focus is on the fact that they have a scoring barrier. That they're, they're, that's what their focus is. They don't focus on, OK, well, how do I what you know, when that happens, when I start having those feelings, when that program starts showing up, um, if I could be any person in that environment, if I could be any person in that meeting, what would that look like? You know, what would I feel like? You know, what I feel like if I was in that situation, because once like you have that visualization, like a visualization. And, and write it down. I, I have yeah. people write it down. Like you mm-hmm. can't, or, you know, things swim around in your head and they're not really a strong, um, let's put it this way. You you can't write something down and articulate it unless you have clarity. And so I tell people, I don't want you just telling me, well, I think I would like, no, I want you to write it down. I want it to be so clear and so definite. I want you to write it down. And when you write it down, I, I'm not talking about a page. I'm talking about a couple of sentences. This is how I want to feel in this particular situation. So you're really clear on what we're, what the target is and where we're going after. And again, that clarity, that brings you clarity when you're not in the emotional content of the situation. So you can think clearly and it feels comfortable. And now you have something to to aim at. That's why I said, you know, the situation arises, you have your rescue mantra. Hey, this is, hey, this is when the fun starts. And then you focus on what you said you want to do, but it gives you that chance to jump out ahead of this programming that's already in action because it's going to push back and you need to be prepared for that. Yeah. And it's a process, right? It will. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It is a process, but you fall in love with the process. You know, you just fall in love with the fact that, Hey, I'm changing, you know, transformation is work. You know, it's work. And um, and again, you can interpret that work as fun and you can interpret it as drudgery. The work is just the work, you know, like um, it's you choose. You know, I know that when I was, you know, learning um, well with all this stuff, but if just to equate it to like a sports, you know, when I, I didn't start playing golf until I was older and. Um, I loved it. I loved the practicing. I, it didn't matter how much I dissected it. I loved it. And I would go out with people and they, I hate it. I just absolutely hate it. Well, swinging the club is swinging the club. You know, you're, you're the one that's determining how am I going to experience this? And so, you know, and that was the reason why I improved at a very accelerated rate. It was because of my attitude towards it. I just loved it. And uh, I felt it was really relaxing. So again, you know, you have to understand that, look, Personal transformation takes effort, and the other choice is to not to not do it and stay where you are. And that's obviously not working. Otherwise, you wouldn't be reading books like this and watching podcasts like this. And I, I mean, you're you're trying to figure out how much can I be, and um, and that, like I said, it takes effort. Right, it does. And well, we're scratching the surface here because you offer a whole bunch of tools and exercises in your book. It's just a thought. So I encourage everyone who wants to know more about this, if you want to learn more about Thomas and his new book, I encourage you to check it out. It's available wherever books are sold. And uh, Thomas, I just want to thank you for sharing your knowledge and expertise with us. My pleasure. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. I will. Thank you. And you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please subscribe to my podcast and feel free to share it with your friends and family. Take care and speak soon.